0: Welcome to the Savvy Podcasting for
1: Entrepreneurs podcast, a place for podcasters to learn what's actually working in the world of podcasting and how to use their podcasts to generate consistent leads in their business. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited you're here. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So I always like people to start off with telling us about yourself. So tell us about yourself and how you really got started in the online space, in your industry, and all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. So I think like most entrepreneurs, my journey is pretty convoluted. And I guess I'll start with the end in mind. So kind of a one-line introduction for me. I am an author and a speaker in the field of mental health, and I also help other service-based entrepreneurs write and publish their books. So that's where we're at now. And then looking back all the way to the beginning, it really started for me when I was in high school and started coordinating some run-walk fundraisers that benefited families who had children that either lost their lives to an illness or were really struggling with an illness. And that was definitely more in the fundraising, nonprofit side of things, but it gave me this taste of what it could be like to do my own thing and have it be very cause-based and supportive of something that I believed in. That kind of lit that fire for me. And then as I moved through high school, that was not at the forefront of my mind, largely because I was really struggling with my mental health. I was going through depression and anxiety and disordered eating and trauma and toxic relationships and kind of anything else you want to throw in that bucket there. But that instance really kind of helped me understand the importance of mental health and the importance of mental health advocacy, because I was not the person that reached out for help. I thought I was the only one who was struggling. I thought it was shameful to reach out and ask for help. And so I really kept it to myself and struggled in silence. Now I'm at a point where I've really healed from that. And I'm happy to be the one to stand up and say, Hey, this is what I went through. This is what I wish I knew and break down that barrier, but not having that opportunity and not having that support when I was struggling really lit that passion in me for the work that I do now for the mental health side of things. So I studied psychology in college and soon after college, I wrote my book, which is called How to Heal. It's about natural and integrative trauma therapies, which is a very clinical topic, but I promise it doesn't read like a psychology textbook. It's very much a letter from your best friend that helps you find a path to healing that's right for you. And then when that did you know, really well, I'm very proud to say that was the number one bestseller in multiple categories and that we've since reached thousands of trauma survivors around the world. But when that did really well, of course, when you're on, in the entrepreneurial space, you have people asking you, how did you? do it. I want to do the same thing. What did you do? And so I was like, I must start coaching other entrepreneurs how to do the same thing. And that kind of brought on that second part of my business, which like I said, is really helping service-based entrepreneurs and heart-centered service-based entrepreneurs specifically write and self-publish their first book. So yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, my story and what I do now and really why I'm, I'm passionate about the things that I am. I love that it
1: started so young for you and you kind of like, push it to the side and then continued with your journey and then realized, wow, this is actually something I want to do. So did you ever end up working corporate or anything, or did you just go straight into being an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah. I've never had a job. I don't think I've ever filled (laughs) out a W2 in my life. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm trying to think through this. I was like, I don't think I've ever filled out a W-2. I did some independent contractor works. Like I worked as an EMT, but that was on an independent contractor. I did some reffing throughout high school and college, like soccer and basketball reffing. So I have had supervisors and jobs in the sense of something a little bit more traditional, but right. I hit entrepreneurship right out of college um, and amazing. really been doing it ever since.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. There's few people who have done that. I was kind of <laughs> close. Like I started my business in 2016 and I graduated in 2014. So I wasn't yeah. in the corporate world for very long, but yeah, it's always crazy when people like start in college or like right after college, because I feel like, especially like now there's a lot more resources for that. But when I was in school, there wasn't any like entrepreneurship major or any classes that you could really take around that. So it's really cool to hear from people who just paved their own path. Cause obviously now it's easier, but back then it was like, um, how do you do this? People actually do this. They start businesses for themselves. Like what online, especially like that's even crazier. So I love that. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. It's totally crazy. And even to this day, I love my dad bless his heart, but I'll be like, yeah. So I had a business meeting the other day and he's like, what, what business, what do you mean? You run a business. And I was like, yeah, dad, my business. And he's like, oh, you're speaking. And I'm like, yeah, dad, that's my business. That's how I pay my bill. So there's, there's still that like stigma or lack of understanding, but you're absolutely right that there's so many more resources now than there was a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and so on and so forth.
1: Right. No, my parents are the exact same way. They're like, yeah, so can you tell me what you do again? I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Obviously my business has pivoted since I started in 2016. So I totally get that, but it's like, come on guys. Like I've been doing this for six years now. You should kind of <laughs> know at least a little bit, a fraction of what I do, but I don't know. My parents are like in their sixties. So it's very foreign to them. Unless you have a little mom and pop shop or something and that's your business. They're like, how else do you have a business? <laughs>
0: right, right, right. right.
1: Uh, but yeah. Awesome. I love that. Super cool. So I know I've personally heard so many people say that they want to write a book in their lifetime, starting as young as like children. And you obviously wanted to do it in high school. So It's not uncommon for people wanting to write a book, but I feel like most people really don't end up doing that in their lifetime. It always ends up being a goal, but then it gets pushed back and back and back and then it never happens. So why do you think that people just don't end up pursuing their dreams of writing a book?
0: Yeah. I think it really is overwhelm and a sense of nebulousness, which we're going to turn into a word around the writing and publishing process. So it's so easy to say, I want to have my name on a cover. I want to share my story with people. And you're right. Almost everyone has that on their bucket list. I think I read a statistic somewhere that was like 80% of Americans want to write a book. So there's tons of people that are looking to write a book. Yeah. But I think when people actually start to get started and they start to think, okay, what does this actually look like? How am I going to go from sitting here, putting it on my bucket list to actually having a published book? Then they're like, oh my God, I have to write 50,000 words. Oh my gosh, I have to edit it oh my gosh, I have to publish it. I have to market it. I don't even know how to do any of this. Oh my gosh, this is so much. I'm just going to go back to my nine to five. I'm just going to go back to my coaching business or whatever that is for that person. And so I think there's this goal. It's so exciting. You get your name on the cover and it's all fantastic. And then the back end of it is like this big black cloud that is not simplified into anything for people. And they see that and they're like, uh-uh, and running the opposite direction. So I feel like it really is I'm saying just a sense of overwhelm, but it is a very large and valid sense of overwhelm just because there's a lack of clarity on the topic, especially as new routes to publishing are opening up and becoming more accessible for people.
1: Yeah. And I feel like you can say the same about starting a podcast as well, because a lot of people have all those mindset issues. Oh, I hate my voice or, oh, what am I even going to talk about? And I'm sure people have similar things like, oh, what am I going to talk about when I write a book? Oh, well, you know, they don't have that. I hate my voice objection, but I don't really like how it sounds when I write stuff, things like that. And so I think it's very similar when it comes books and podcasting are similar in that way. People just either they want to do it and they don't end up doing it, but I feel like books are even more so people like people are more likely to start a podcast than they are a book these days at least. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I feel that. And I mean, in the effort of full transparency, I'm the same way I've thought about starting a podcast before. And for me, it's like, yeah. I don't know how to edit. I don't know yeah. how to use the tech. What am I doing with this? <laughs> and so I totally get that people would look at writing the book the same way. I have to do what? I don't know how to do that. So hundred yeah. percent. I agree. <laughs>
1: yeah. No editing is the most daunting thing that I find for people as well, that everyone's like, I don't know how to edit. Okay. Just Take a step back and it'll be okay. (laughs) But yeah. So I love that. I think that's cool that they can be similar. It's just, yeah, totally different processes, but similar mindset issues that everyone runs into. So what are like some things that we can do to actually start working towards our goal of writing that book? Because obviously so many people, you said 80 something percent want to do this, but they haven't yet. So what are some things we can do to actually make that a tangible goal and not just something on our bucket list that never gets crossed off?
0: Yeah. So my, my pre-step, my step zero to this is the mindset piece of it. And I'm not going to go too deeply into that because there's a million and one topics and podcast episodes and books about mindset out there that you can absolutely go and listen to. I'm sure Jenny, I'm sure you have some episodes about mindset around starting a podcast. So go listen to some of those, but you need to get into a position where you feel comfortable and confident moving forward and sharing your mission and your values and your expertise with other people. However, you end up going through that is fine. For me, I had a lot of imposter syndrome to work through because I don't have a PhD. I don't have 50 years of experience. And here I am trying to write this book about trauma healing. Who am I to do that? I just have my own personal little story. So that was something that I had to work through. And the way that I did that was twofold. Number one, I focused very heavily on my story. So I was not coming into this trying to diagnose people. I was not coming into this saying, this is the one singular way that you can achieve trauma healing. I came into it with, this is the information that I wish I knew when I was struggling with trauma. This is what I hope that no one else has to not know if they're in that position. And the second thing that I did was actually really rely heavily on a little bit of external validation, which is generally not my first tip. But every time I'd get a positive endorsement from someone who had their PhD and 50 years of experience, or every time I got a positive review from a reader saying how much it helped them change their life, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to put this in a little file folder. I'm going to keep this. And then when I'm feeling that imposter syndrome, then I'm going to go back to that and help boost my mentality there. So that's a very broad tip that everyone needs to do before they can even get started writing. But once you've done that and you're like, okay, I'm really ready to dive into the tangible bits of this, you need to figure out what you want to write about. That's the first step there before you can start outlining, before you can start writing or even thinking about publishing and marketing and things like that. And so there's a couple questions that I encourage people to ask themselves when they're looking for, a, I was to say a podcast topic, a book topic that <laughs> they can use uh, to become an author. So the first question is what do you like? What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy talking about? Because you are going to have to write at least 50,000 words on this thing. And if you are not passionate about it and you don't like it, that is going to be a drag. And let's not even talk about the publishing and the marketing and the lifelong position of being an author. If you don't like what you're writing about, that's gonna be horrible. Number one, what do you like writing about? What do you like talking about? Number two, what do you have the expertise or the credibility about? For example, I really like architecture. I think home architecture and interior design is super, super cool. And I could say a lot of things about it, but I have no expertise in it. So it would just be me spouting off, wow, this looks really cool. And this color looks awesome. And I love these tiles. That wouldn't be a very good book for anyone. So you have to pick a topic that you have some level of expertise in, and that could be your own personal story, like you've had an accomplishment in this space that you're gonna teach other people how to have the same accomplishment. It could be your client story. So maybe you've helped 50 clients achieve X, Y, and Z, and now you're turning that into a framework and teaching that through your book. It could be professional or educational background. So maybe you've been an accountant for 10 years and now you're going to write a book helping other small business owners master their accounting or whatever that is. So looking at what am I good at? What do I have expertise or credibility on that I can go ahead and write this book about? And then the last piece is what do you want to build a career on? So maybe you really like accounting and you have a ton of experience with accounting, but you're sick of it and you don't want to do that in your business for the next 50 years of your life that might not be the best topic to write about. So when you're going through this process, you might get to this third question and have three or four different topics that you're passionate about and you have enough expertise to write about. But one of them is really sticking out as, yeah, I wanna do this for the next 30 years. Like this is something that I want to be my legacy and my mission for the rest of my life. That's the direction you wanna move in. Because again, if you pick a topic where you're like, yeah, I'm passionate about it and I'm good at it, but I don't know if I wanna do it for the rest of my life. Your book is something that's going to live forever. And yeah, you can stop marketing it and stop calling yourself an author if you really have a change of heart down the road. But if you know that you're moving out of the space that you're in five or 10 years, maybe don't write a book about it right now. So those are the questions that I encourage people to ask themselves as they're figuring out what they want to write about so that when they do move into the next process of outlining writing and blah, 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 they actually have a good foundation and are excited and passionate about where they're going with that book.
1: I think that's really important. And I love that point about not pigeonholing yourself into it because if you're going to become known as the expert for that and you don't want to be the expert in that, don't force yourself to be that. Like we are people, we evolve, our interests change all the time. So it's important to pick something that's going to be like long lasting for you and not just like a trend. Like for me, I love reality TV, but obviously I'm not going to write a book about that. That's, I don't have that expertise. It's just as a consumer, that's something I like, but you know, something like podcasting on the other hand, obviously it's more likely for me to do a podcast on podcasting versus a book, but that's something I'm passionate about. That's something I have a lot of knowledge in. That's something I could pursue as a potential book idea versus, I don't know, just something you like to do for fun that uh, you've been doing for years. And we don't always have to monetize our passions either so that's another point i want to bring in cuz i feel like that's really something everyone oh if you're not making money off of it it's not worth it but it's like we need to have some things we do for fun as well so if you have something you're really passionate about and you're an expert in you don't have to write your book on that thing either if you want to keep it something that is just a passion because otherwise it, when it starts to feel like work it becomes it doesn't always become fun anymore so if you want to keep it a passion keep it a passion that's okay. <laughs> Permission <Yes>. granted. <laughs> awesome. So I know like obviously the mindset thing is huge. Obviously finding the topic and really getting that solidified is huge, but once we have that going for us, what are some things we can do to actually sit down and write the thing? Cuz I know that's another hurdle that people have to get over. They're like, "Cool, I have all this kind of mapped out in my head, but how do I actually sit down and write and make time and prioritize time for that because obviously writing a book takes a lot of time takes a lot of effort and you're not getting paid that exact moment so other things tend to take precedence so how can we actually find that time to dedicate without completely giving up the rest of what we're doing for all time until the book's
0: done. Absolutely. What's really frustrating to me about this is that the advice that you get on the internet is just sit down and write for an hour a day. Get up at 5 a.m., get up before your kids are up or hide in the closet from your kids and just write and then your book is going to come together. And it's, oh man, there's so many things wrong with that. There's so many ways that type of advice could go wrong because what that's telling people is take the decade of experience that you have in your brain and dump it onto a sheet of paper and expect it to come out perfectly the first time. And that's completely unrealistic. You need to have some sense of structure as well as time management, as well as an understanding of how you want to structure your day to fit writing into your day. So the two pieces of advice I have around this, number one is around the time management piece. You do not have to write your book in 30 days. I think that's where I differ from a lot of other writing and publishing coaches is they're like, write and publish in 90 days, get it up as quickly as possible. And not only do you miss out on some promotional opportunities with that, which we can talk about more later in the episode, that's just not healthy. It's not gonna be a good book. It's not gonna give you the opportunity to look inside yourself and really pour your soul onto a piece of paper, especially if you're also managing a business and a family and a life and hobbies and health and sleep and eating and all of these other things. If you had 40, 50 hours a week that you could dedicate to writing this thing, You could probably crank out a pretty good book in 30 to 90 days, but we are humans and we have other parts of our lives that are important to us. So that's unrealistic. So what I encourage someone to do is look at what is going to work for them. If that is getting up at five in the morning before your kids are awake and writing a few hundred words every day, that's perfect. If it's handing off your responsibilities to your partner for a whole Saturday and going to a co-working space and writing for eight hours a week that's perfect too. If you know that you can only work after the kids are in bed, and I know not everyone has kids, I'm just using that as an example, but after everyone's gone to bed, so you have 10 to 11 at night to write, that's fine too. You need to find a schedule that's going to work for you and set a manageable goal that's not going to be to write your entire book in 30 days. The way that I encourage people to set those types of goals is by doing content-based goals instead of time-based goals. So instead of saying, I'm going to sit down and write for an hour a day. I would say that it's more beneficial to say, I'm going to sit down and write a thousand words a day because technically you could spend an hour nitpicking a single paragraph in your manuscript and you would have written for an hour a day. It allows room for that perfectionism to come in and really make you not progress in your book because you're trying to make this one little tiny section perfect. Or procrastination, where you're like, oh, I'm sitting in front of my computer, but there's an email and there's social media, bird oh, just flew by outside. Like you're technically butt in chair, but you're not being productive. So content-based goals, where it's, I want to write 500 words, a thousand words, whatever that is, you don't have time to be a perfectionist or to procrastinate unless you want to spend four hours in front of your computer that day. You have to keep writing. You have to get words out of your head and on a piece of paper, which is the entire purpose of the first draft. Where we go back and perfect that is on the second, third, fourth, et cetera drafts. But right now we just want it out of our head. And that's why setting those content-based goals really forces you to write because you don't have the luxury of time to sit there and perfect every single word that you put down. So those are my pieces of advice for kind of finding the time and structuring your day around writing. But then when it comes to actually writing it, what I teach is a three by three structure. Because again, the advice of just dump everything, all of your expertise onto a sheet of paper How the heck do you organize that? Like you have years of knowledge in your head and it's just supposed to pop out nicely. It doesn't work that way. So what the three by three structure is, is your first level, your top level of threes. Think of this like a family tree, right? They're the descendants under each three. But your top level is your what. So what are the three main things that my readers need to know to take away the transformation that I am promising them. So for example, if you're writing a book about health and fitness, how to be healthier, your three things could be, you need to eat right, you need to exercise, and you need to have a good mindset. So those are the three what's that your readers need to understand in order to take away the transformation of living a healthier life. Your next level, so the threes underneath underneath each of those threes are the why's. Why are these things important? Why do I need to pay attention to them? So why is eating important? Maybe you're looking at proper nutrition. You're looking at metabolism and you're looking at enough energy to work out, to follow up to the second what. I am not a health and fitness expert. I'm totally winging this here, but here's my gist of why are these things important? Why are we talking about them? Why do they matter? Then your bottom level of three is your how, how do you implement this? This is where you go into the step-by-step under each of these topics. So maybe under your food nutrition topic, you're looking at sharing different recipes. You're looking at cooking strategies or swaps that you can use to make recipes healthier. So really giving people, again, that step-by-step of this is how you do the thing that we've been talking about so they can take away that transformation. When I've shared this framework with other people of the three-by-three, they're all just, oh, that makes sense. I know what I want to write about now. I know what I want to talk about. I know how I'm going to put it all together. And so that's where you should start is taking those 10 years of expertise and saying, okay, what do they need to know? Why are those things important and how do they implement them? And then you can write your book from there.
1: Yeah. I love that. I think that's really important. And a lot of the time there's just so much information in our heads and we're like, we even forget about some of the smaller details because we have so much knowledge about it. Like I know for me, when I started my podcast, a lot of the things that I was teaching, I was like, wait, I should probably go back to the basics a little bit. Like the people listening are not an expert and they don't know all about podcasting like I do. So just like those little things, I think that really helps organize your thoughts better and really be able to connect with your audience and not jump in and have people be like, wait, what? I don't even know what a podcast is or whatever that is. So I think that's really helpful. And I also love that you mentioned starting with the content goal, not the time goal, because we're not always able to be creative during one to 2 PM on a Thursday or whatever block you set, like time blocking can be really helpful, but it's really hard to set creative time blocking because your brain doesn't always want to do the creative stuff when you are trying to allow it to. It just doesn't work that way. And as an Enneagram one myself, I am just a total perfectionist. So just hearing the content-based goal is just so much more manageable for me. And I know a lot of my listeners are Enneagram ones. They are very type A perfectionists. So I think that will definitely help them be able to give themselves permission to not always be so rigid with their time and f- focus more on like the actual content versus, oh, I should write for an hour a day or two hours a day or whatever. So I love that. Yeah. That's really helpful.
0: For sure. I am also an Enneagram one. <laughs> okay. So we are all in good company here. And I'm serious. When I say this DM me on Instagram and ask me to send you the first draft of my manuscript and I will send <laughs> it to you. It is a hot freaking mess. Like it is, There are typos and grammar and spelling errors and nothing makes sense. And half of the content got shifted around between the first draft and the (laughs) final draft. But I will send that to you because if that can turn into a number one best selling book, I promise you whatever your first draft looks like can turn into something amazing as well. So DM me, I'll send it. Um, It'll make you feel better. I promise.
1: (laughs) I love that. I think that's just helpful knowing that you're also a perfectionist as well. So being able to like let go of that perfectionism is like half the battle when it comes to writing or really doing most things. So I think that's really beneficial. So if you guys want to see her first version, definitely take her up on the offer. I think it really helps to see other people's, not their final product, but like their starting point. Cause there's that quote. It's like, don't compare your chapter one to someone's chapter like 300 or whatever. And that's just so true when it comes to pretty much everything in life, especially writing a book. For sure. Awesome. So I love, that's really helpful. And I know a lot of my listeners either have a podcast or they're starting a podcast. So how can we actually tie our podcast and our book idea together? How can we actually just use our podcast listeners or their like our analytics and stuff to actually craft our perfect book idea and really pull in things. Cause I know like a lot of people that are listening, probably their podcast is probably what they want to write a book about. So how can we use those analytics to our benefit and not just like think we're writing about what we want. People want to hear from us, but it's not actually the case.
0: So there's two main ways that you can use a podcast as benefit in your authorial journey. the first is from a marketing perspective. So I'm just going to start there because it's pretty easy. You have an audience, right? Your podcast is bringing people into your world. They're sitting down with you for an hour a week or however long and frequent your episodes are. They are invested in you. And so when you launch your book, you have that built-in audience that you can market to that you can communicate with. So that's pretty straightforward. But from a data and analytical perspective, your podcast is your testing ground. And within that, there's really two main ways that you can do that. So when you're thinking about what topic you want to write your book about, as well as what content you want to put into your book, so when you're filling in your three-by-three chart, you can look at past podcast episodes and say, okay, what trends am I seeing here? What topics are people really interested in? Which episodes perform really well? And so maybe you're looking back at your analytics and you're saying, okay, well, say you're a life coach. My episodes on overcoming perfectionism did super well. Like I've had three different guests talking about it. All of them knocked it out of the park. But my episodes on um, overcoming procrastination, they were so-so, they didn't really do very well. So you can take that and say, okay, I need to talk about perfectionism in this book because my audience really likes that content. I might mention procrastination, but I'm not really gonna go into much depth about it because my audience has told me through their listening habits, That they're not as interested in that. So you want to look back at your data and say, okay, what's done well, what hasn't, and how do I want to incorporate those topics or not incorporate those topics into the book that I'm writing? The second thing that you can do is you can use podcast episodes to test different ideas. So maybe you have three different topics for a book. You have overcoming perfectionism, overcoming procrastination, and overcoming imposter syndrome, just again, sitting within that life coaching space. You could do a series of podcast episodes on each of those topics or one podcast episode on each of those topics and see which performs better, see which gets more downloads, see which uh, episode sends more people to your DM saying, oh, my gosh, this episode changed everything for me. Thank you so much. And use that data to inform your decisions about what topic you're going to write your book about or what content you want to include in your book. So your podcast is just a wealth of data and information that you can use to test and iterate and figure out what you want to put into your book. So you're not completely guessing with what you think people are going to like, especially because you're going to be marketing to your podcast audience as part of your launch strategy. And so listen to what they're telling you. Listen to the the feedback that they're giving you to inform your writing decisions so you can bring them the most beneficial book for them. That's also going to be the most successful for you.
1: Yeah. I love that. I think that's really important. And although a podcast is permanent, obviously when you get something in print, like a book that makes it even more so permanent, if you want to, you can just delete podcast episodes. You can't really go and delete all the copies of your book out there. So I think that's really great. Just being able to use it as like a, like you're being a scientist in a lab and testing and seeing what people resonate with, what they don't so that your book is ends up being what people really want from you versus like a podcast episode that didn't do that well. Yeah. You put some time and effort into it, but you didn't spend weeks on that one episode or months on that one episode. So I think that's really helpful advice. And I think there's such, such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to your podcast and tying it into your book idea, if you're talking about the exact same topic. So I think that's really helpful. Yeah.
0: Other thing that I would, that I would add into that, if I can interject here is that if you are the type of podcast host that has guests on your podcast, you also have that built in network Mm. that you can use to market and launch your book as well. Mm -hmm. So let's say that I've had Jenny on my podcast. I don't have a podcast for the record, (laughs) but let's say that I've had Jenny on my podcast and I've had Sarah and I've had Bob and I've had Susie when I'm ready for my book to launch. I'm going to be messaging or DMing or emailing Jenny and Sarah and Bob and Susie and saying, hey, thanks so much for being on the show. My listeners really enjoyed it. I have a book coming out that I think your people would really like as well. Would you mind posting on Instagram, sending an email, whatever? You can build some sort of promotion with them and it's going to be less formal, like influencer marketing, pay to post type of thing because you have that relationship built with them. And especially if you did a podcast swap, so I was on your podcast and you were on my podcast, that's a great opportunity to expand your reach and your network simply by the guests that you've had on your show. So I just wanted to add that tidbit as well.
1: No, I think that's really beneficial and it's, yeah, it's great. I think it's helpful to people because the collaboration pieces are a lot a big reason why I started my own podcast. So being able to tap into that network when you have a book or a summit or anything coming up is really beneficial because you already have that door open. You know what I mean? So it really helps. It's not just like a cold pitch because let's be real. No one likes those cold pitches in their inbox. So when you have that door that's already wide open for you, take advantage of it when it comes to your new book, or you're hosting a challenge or a summit or a course or whatever that may be in your online journey. So that is really beneficial. I love that little tidbit you added in there. And then what are some ways that we can actually grow our business slash podcast with a book and kind of tie it all together and wrap it up in a nice, pretty bow?
0: yeah so there are so many ways that i could share and we could probably spend the next three hours going deep into all of them so i'm going to keep it relatively short and surface level here but know that there's really limitless opportunities the first way is that you can use your book readers to drive listeners to your podcast. So what I do in the beginning of my book, and then maybe one or two times throughout is I will have a lead magnet or some place that I want my readers to go. So right now I have like a resource library of different blog posts and podcast episodes, all about trauma healing. And I have that right at the front of my book. And so when people get my book, they open it and, Hey, by the way, go get these extra resources. It's going to make your life even better when you're reading this book. And so you could put your podcast there. You could say, hey, to accompany this book, I've put together a secret library of 10 podcast episodes. That sounds funky. I'm not the best impromptu copywriter, but put together this secret library of of 10 podcast episodes that give more information on these topics. Go here, get these episodes. And that could be a lead magnet, or it could just be directly to your podcast website, however you want to do that. But you can use the people who get your book to drive more listeners to your podcast. Similarly, on your podcast, you can talk about your books that every time you get new listeners on your podcast, they're going to know about your book, they're going to go buy your book and now you have this flow back and forth that brings your community together in an even better way. The second way is that you can use your book to build your business is like getting more clients or speaking gigs. So my clients are speaking gigs and conferences and colleges and things like that. But when people come into your world, it is so much easier for them to go and pick up a 10 or $15 book than it is to book you for a $5,000 package or presentation. And so you can have people read your book, they get acquainted with you, they understand and fall in love with your methodology, and then they start moving up your ladder, they're in your community, maybe they bought a course, now they really like the course, now they're gonna hire you for one-on-one coaching. And so, what I found is a book is a very accessible way to open the door into your world. Um, And it's more fun than like a $37 info product or a mini course or something like that, because that's like, okay, it's another digital product, whatever. But a book is a book and it's exciting and it's a little more high value, even though it probably costs less than that little info course that you put together. So, that's another way. And then, if any of you are speakers, like speakers go on stage and give presentations to different groups. What I highly recommend doing is thinking about using bulk book buys at your speaking gigs. So this is honestly how I have sold the majority of my books is when someone books me for a presentation and we're talking about kind of the financial end of things, I will say, would you like to add 100 paperback copies of my book to my presentation package? And I'll share some more information about the benefits and how there's now a tangible takeaway that attendees have where they can use them for giveaway copies or whatever, but I will make that offer. And I'll give them a 15% discount on my books. So instead of saying, oh, you have to pay 16 bucks per copy, they get it for 12 bucks a copy or whatever that ends up being. And that drives a ton of extra revenue for me, extra profit for me too, because I'm still making profit on those books. It gets my books into the hands of more readers, and it makes me look better to the people that are in attendance at my presentation, because they're not just listening to me talk for an hour, they're getting a book that they can touch and read and give to a friend and really interact with after the presentation. So those are just a couple of ways that you can use your book to build your business, aside from the very obvious one of now you have an additional stream of revenue in your business. So there's tons of opportunities there, tons of opportunities for connections and media interviews as well, because now you have the author title behind your name. So there's so much that you can do, but those are just a couple quick ones to think about as you go on your authorial journey.
1: I love that. I think that's really helpful. And some of those are very innovative ways that I probably wouldn't have thought. (laughs) So I love that. I did have one question though. So I know as a podcast host, I receive a lot of pitches and a lot of people are doing like these PR tours for their books. Do you typically like recommend that or what do you think that's a best practice? I know it can be done well, but half the time the pitches that I get are like not even related. Obviously my podcast is about podcasting and I get pitches of everything under the sun for people's books. And I'm like, okay, you are literally just pitching to everyone you see that has a podcast. So, do you think that can actually be beneficial or do you think that's just something that we should skip?
0: Yeah. So, my answer is yes, but. And I feel like that's the answer to every type of question like this. It's be beneficial, yes, but you have to do it in the right way. So, generally, when someone is pitching for a podcast tour or a blog tour or something like that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with the pitches that you've gotten, but the way that they approach it is, Hi, Jenny, I see you have a podcast. I have a book that's coming out that I would love to promote on your podcast. No podcast hosts or very few, are going to say yes to that pitch. And the ones that do, no offense to podcast hosts, but generally are not the highest quality or the largest size of podcasts. So I do not recommend that approach at all, whether you're doing a podcast tour or just a single pitch to a single podcast. What instead I recommend is really focusing on what value can you deliver to that podcast host's listeners. So my pitch to Jenny would be something like, Jenny, blah, 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 I liked this about you. My name's Jesse. I'm the author of the upcoming book, podcasting for entrepreneurs. I see that your, your audience is podcast listeners. and I have a couple tips I could share with them that I think would be super helpful in getting them even higher profile guests on their show. Would you be interested in a podcast episode like that? That was not the best pitch again, impromptu copywriting, not my favorite thing, but a lot
1: better and, than most of the ones I get in my inbox for about books.
0: And so again, I'm, I'm focusing on the value that I can deliver to Jenny's listeners. And what it can contribute to her. I'm not saying I want to come promote my book. I'm saying, hey, I'm an expert in this thing, and this is how I could educate your listeners. And that's the approach that you want to take with any type of PR pitch. And so, if you do a podcast tour in that way, 100% that could be beneficial because you're going to have a higher likelihood of getting a good interview. You're going to provide value to those listeners. They're going to like you. And then, when you say, by the way, you know, my book's coming out, I'm super mm-hmm. excited for it. You can go pre order it here. A lot of people are going to go do that, but answer right. Question. <laughs> you
1: make it so it's actually valuable and tangible, and not just a big thirty-minute ad for your book. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> which, which I've seen before, and. It- doesn't go over well it's a yeah it's a waste forever of everyone's time but I digress (laughs) but I just thought I'd ask I figured I knew your answer but I I figured I'd ask there cool awesome and then I always like to wrap this up with what is your current favorite podcast because this is a show for podcasters about podcasting so you don't this is off the top of my head but you don't have to come up with anything crazy but if you have a show that you've been listening to recently
0: (laughs) always like to know Oh man, I have so many that I could share. Do I have to pick one or can I share No, you can
1: s- share multiple. I'm always okay. sharing multiple.
0: <laughs> okay, awesome. So when I'm in the mood for something funny, I always listen to Girls Gotta Eat and I just crack up on a hike when I'm listening to them. I would say rated R warning for any- just so you know, for any type of self-help personal development stuff. I love Glennon Doyle's podcast, We Can Do Hard Things. I also laugh a lot during that, but I really enjoy listening to that. And then I also just started listening to Smartless with Jason Bateman and a couple other people, Will Arnett and Seth someone, Sean someone someone's going to hate me for that, but I started <laughs> listening to smart list, which is celebrity interviews and things like that, which is really funny as well. So yeah, those are my three go-tos right now. And of course that changes, but yeah, if anyone's looking for Rex, those are mine.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. I'll make sure to link them all in the show notes, but I, I always love funny shows. So I'll have to check out the last one. Cause I haven't heard about that yet, but it's always fun to hear from celebrities sometimes. Cause it's like you sit there and you think that they're perfect. And then you hear them on a podcast and you're like, Oh, wow. Okay. Like they're just regular people like me and you. So it's always fun to get that perspective. Awesome. Feel free to share your best place where we can find you. So your social, your website, wherever you want us to connect with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Buyer International, J-E-S-S-I, Buyer International. And then my website is jessiebuyerinternational.com. I have everything there. So my book is available on Amazon. You can also download a free copy at the link on my website, free ebook copy. And then I have a free training for aspiring authors on my website as well. That's at jessiebuyerinternational.com forward slash training. So tons of resources, go pick the one that's going to be the most beneficial for you. And all of that can be found on my website.
1: Awesome. And see guys, this is how you insert your book into it nicely and don't make it a whole ad about your book. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today, Jesse. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Yes. Thank you
0: so much for having me. I had a ton of fun.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player, like Apple podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher and leave a review. You can find us at SavvyPodcastingForEntrepreneurs.com and on Facebook at Savvy Podcasting for Entrepreneurs and Instagram at Savvy Podcasting. Make sure to join our free Facebook community for podcasters by going to SavvyPodcastingForEntrepreneurs.com slash community and join in on the exclusive community just for Savvy Podcasting for Entrepreneurs listeners. I'll see you there.